This is the Growth Gossip Podcast, where we talk about growth. But what exactly is growth? You are going to find out what's behind this buzzword. By yours truly, Michal, of Yoke Workspace and Community in Krakow. And me, Romeo Mann, founder of Mann Digital. You're the man. <laughs> hey, Romeo, who are we talking to today? Today we are talking with George. He's the director of marketing at Surveycate. They are a survey software for businesses. Hmm, marketing. Okay, so... That makes sense. If you want to grow, you're going to probably need some marketing. Where's George from? Yeah, he has a really interesting story because George started in uh, sales, actually, in the UK, in north of UK, Leeds. You know the city, Leeds? Leeds. I- I've heard of Leeds, but uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that that's where he, he decided to, to live since if you're going to do sales, you're going to need some leads. Yeah, definitely. Definitely on brand, <laughs> if you will. From this enterprise, big corporation, he shifted to marketing. He worked in different organizations here in Krakow um, in actually marketing and sales roles. And now he is leading the 10 people team in Servicate. Uh, quite a nice company that is growing fast. There are 40 people already. R- Romeo, to, con- to confess, uh, I'm usually not a big fan of marketing people and all that stuff, but um, I'm going to try to stay open-minded and uh, let's listen to George and let's, let's see what he's got to yeah, say. Yeah, this will be fun because you will be mind-blown by what actually marketing can do for Yoke, actually. Oh, nice. Okay, let's get into it. Hey George, welcome to Growth Gossip, welcome to our podcast. Just to get right into it, because uh, we know each other already for some time now, Yeah, just for the listeners, um, and you are the director of marketing for Servicate, and uh, I like to start this podcast with the end in mind. So mm-hmm. actually with the final destination of getting director of marketing at a company like, like Servicate, can you tell us a little bit what Servicate is and what do you do at, at this company? Sure. So Servicate, I think very high level. It's at the end of the day, a B2B SaaS for everybody out there. What we do is a customer feedback surveys for businesses. Okay. Um, and to your question, what does the marketing director do? Uh, I think, first of all, it's worth understanding what marketing does, which mm-hmm. is selling a product to a mass or a group of people. So you as the director, you're supposed to figure out what's the best way to do that. Okay, so Mihao owns uh, y- Yoke, let's say, yeah. and you have Servicate. How, why would a company or a community, uh, a workspace like Yoke need a Servicate. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say the people could come in here and work from here. You want to know if they like the place. So you can drop a survey to them to say, hey, how would you rate Yoke from one to five? And someone gives you a four. And then the next question can be, okay, what could we improve? And they will tell you, Paint, I don't know, paint the walls in pink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So now you know what to do in order to improve the user experience because you have customer feedback, mm-hmm. right? So that's what Servicet does. It offers surveys that businesses can uh, send to customers. So then businesses get customer feedback and then know what to do to improve the customer experience. Um, I'm curious, how do you know which questions to ask? Sure. So there are a few questions that are kind of standard, but it's also you as a business owner, uh, you can ask any question that you want. So let's say you invested into a podcast facility and you want to know if people like it and how to improve it, right? Right, right. So then your questions can be formulated around this. Mm-hmm. Or the most standard question in the industry is the net promoter score, which is from a scale to zero to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend. Right, right. Right, and pretty much everybody runs a net promoter score mm-hmm. uh, survey. And now 
you can go into the employee net promoter score. Like if someone works for your business, are they happy working here? Sure. Um, so let's say if someone says, I'm not really happy, the next question could be, what could we improve? They could say, I don't know, uh, more holiday days. Sure, sure. <laughs> And then yeah. you can figure out if you can make that happen or not. So George, I suppose this market is quite crowded because it's not like... Uh, Who, who was the first that on the internet started to, you know, promote a lot of surveys? SurveyMonkey, right? They were like one of the first. Yeah, and to some extent, Google, with Google Forms. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Um, so, yeah, the market is very crowded. And from my perspective, that is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Because when you are in a crowded market, it means the market is quite big. Mm -hmm. As opposed to being a market where there is no business. Plus, it kind of seems like it's to your place to your core strength to find out what the market needs. Yeah, right? find <laughs> out because you could survey your own market using your own tools and your own experience, right? Yeah, yes, you can. Sure, um, there is that. So you marketing starts with customer feedback and focusing on customers because you are selling to people, right? Um, and You don't sell to technology or you don't sell to channels. Everything starts with the human being. Mm. So, yeah. So you as a marketing director, you have this huge market and there's a crowded space. Yeah. So how do you do it so you get out of, you know, out of all this noise? Because at the end of the day, it's a lot of noise there. Can you tell us a little bit the beginnings of you as a director of marketing? What did you guys do to grow? Because in the end, we are talking here about, we are gossiping about growth. Yeah. And then I would like to understand later on how did you get here? Like, Yeah, sure. So I think, and this is advice for everybody who's interested in marketing or how to grow their business using marketing. Um, the first thing that you want to understand before doing anything is what's the strategy of that company. Um, because it's one thing if you work in a business that wants to, I don't know, sell the business in a year, or it's a different story if you work in a publicly listed company which needs to report to investors on a quarterly basis or anything else. So step number one, get the strategy. And then get the strategy from the owners or from do the, the strategy. You need to get the, you need to work with the CEO. Okay to understand what's the strategy of that business. Okay. And when we say strategy, to keep it very simple, let's say we're in Krakow now, so our strategy for travel could be that tomorrow we want to go to Warsaw. Mm -hmm. So from all the places in the world where we could travel, now we know we go from point A, which is Krakow, to point B, which is Warsaw. Mm -hmm. And this is the clarity you kind of need to, to get. Now that I need to, I know I need to go to Warsaw, my job is to understand and figure out what's the best way to get there. Do I go by train? Do I go by car? Do I hike? Do I take the plane? Right? And it's the same in, in marketing. You, you, under, you know now how many customers or what kind of customers by when you are supposed to get and you can decide how to get them. But was this clear from the beginning? Did you know what type of clients you guys want to address? Uh, how to go there, because I suppose um, it's easy to say that, okay, let's have clarity, but in a such a crowded market as you guys are, it's pretty hard to find your small little niche. So how did you guys do that? Yeah, so it's, this sounds very easy in theory, but it's very hard to do in practice. Mm -hmm. And the moment when you have the strategy is when the strategy is written down and shared If the strategy is just in someone's head, but not communicated to a company, you practically don't have a strategy because mm -hmm. people can't execute it. So that's pointless. So this took a bit of work. I would say uh, this year we are the year where we have the clearest strategy that we've ever had. Uh, and we're in the market since 2013. So that's like seven years. Mm. And it doesn't mean that before we didn't have a strategy, but it was uh, iterative, meaning that we assumed that the best way to go to from point A to point B was by doing something. We tried to execute that, figured out it was a good idea or not in terms of 
what went well, what could we do better, and then figured out, do we still stay with the strategy or considering what we've learned right now, we should be changing. So I would say this is not uh, something that you will get right from the beginning and you have to be prepared to change. Like even on a straight road, you are still at the wheel and you are supposed to still move the wheel because otherwise you'll crash. Right? Yeah. I'm curious if uh, when you say strategy, is it more of a direction or is it very clear KPIs that you're going after or does it depend on the client and, and their needs? Yeah, I would say KPIs are even further down the road because KPIs is how well we execute on something. So let's say if we stick to the example traveling from Krakow to Warsaw, and let's say if we chose a car, your KPI could be fuel consumption. But you've already, already made that decision, mm. that you, you chose it. In the same way in marketing would be that you want to grow by doing paid ads. So the KPIs apply at paid ads level, like... You know, are we making a profit compared to what we're spending and mm. stuff like that? So I suppose you do this with a team. And before the whole conversation, uh, before we started the record button, you were telling yeah. me that you had three people. Now you have 10. You changed the whole structure. Can you tell us a little bit how, what did you change? How did you structure the team? Because this is may also important for people who would like to join companies like Servicate and be in such teams. So mm -hmm. we understand a little bit what competences are needed, yeah. right? And how does the how you map the competences that are needed in your team to the actual strategy that your company has and your uh, actually role as a marketing team to deliver that strategy. Yeah, right. So I think there are two things here that are practically two questions. So I think the first question is, how did we change our marketing structure to support the company growth? So uh, the first thing to say is that Servicate is now a company of 42 people. Mm -hmm. We're not 500 people or 1,000 people. So if you're going to be in that kind of a company, you might do the different thing. So practically, we are what you would call a scale-up. I would say... Before that, we, are, uh, we were a startup. So when we were in startup mode, marketing was much more experimental, mm. like trying a lot of things um, to figure out what can work and what doesn't. Once we figured that out, we knew two, three things that we really wanted to do well. So we decided to specialize the marketing team. So for example, now we have a team that looks after uh, content and SEO, which means if you type something in Google related to customer surveys, is Servicate going to show up on the top position? So that's their job. And this team does only that. If we cannot show up organically in Google, maybe we put, uh, we pay and we show an ad. So there is a team that works only on paid ads. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a team that connects the whole marketing with the, the product team. So if the product team releases new functionality, marketing needs to know. So that's where what we call product marketing comes in. And the fourth team is um, what we call the creative team, which is pretty much design and coding. Because to execute on all the other channels, you need assets. So pretty much we have like four big pillars mm -hmm. that kind of came in from our experimentation. And we decided that, okay, these are, these are safe bets on which we are feeling confident to invest on because we've seen they are working. So I look at it as, uh, you know, um, kitchen and a restaurant with the kitchen. Maybe at the beginning you had, you know, uh, cooks that can only do breakfast, right? And then you realize that, okay, we, are, we need also to specialize in brunch, lunch and dinner, but we cannot use the same cooks to that are specialized in breakfast to do the dinner. So maybe we can uh, I, I get see some it. guys who I are see specialized in dinner. I see it differently. I see it sort of like if you're if it's a team and it's either they're playing football or basketball or whatever, and you need a goalie 
to, yeah. to, to fill that role. You need somebody on offense to fill that role. Uh, you need the defenders to, to sort of um, support well, both the offense and the defense, the goalie. And yeah. So, so he, he, Michal is the sportsy guy. You I know? guess <laughs> I'm the foodie guy. <laughs> You're both right. Uh, the only thing that I say is, is that in the beginning you need someone, or the, you need the the people who are there initially to be able to do a few things. Mm. So, if we go with the cooking analogy, you probably are gonna have someone who can cook breakfast, dinner, and lunch. Mm-hmm. They are not going to do a free star Michelin. Mm-hmm. But once you figure out that your restaurant sells the most at dinner, you kind of say, okay, let's focus on dinners. Mm. So then you get someone who can really do dinners. Right. And you can have the other person just focus on the other two. Mm. Got it. So um, when, you, when we think about competencies, I suppose mm-hmm. for the listeners, so if I'm applying for a job for such for Servicate, I really need to understand if do they need me to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or they want me to do only dinner, right? Yeah, to some extent. So So how do I find out this? How how do I know uh, this company at this stage, what kind of uh, people they need, and if I am a fit to this, this team? Yeah, okay. So the first thing you need to understand when you apply for a job is that that company really wants to hire people. Mm-hmm. So when you go into an interview, those people that interview you really want to hire you. They are not your enemy. Mm-hmm. And the best favor that they can do for you is to not hire you and put you in the wrong job because that will be very bad for you and very bad for the company. Um, secondly, in the job description, you should do a realistic assessment if you can do that job and not try to just, you know, go over the uh, fence and wing it because that will all go into a disaster. The best thing you can do, especially when applying, I would say, for startups and for scale-ups, is to explain to that company why you specifically want to work for them. So if someone demonstrates passion that they want to work for Servicate and it's not the same application they sent to another 50 uh, companies, that's like a massive plus. Mm. Uh, and let's say if you feel you don't hit the competencies of that uh, uh, job, it's okay to be upfront and say, look, I might not have the experience in these areas. Uh, because one thing that you need to be aware of in startup and scale-ups is that things are very flexible. So uh, uh, a company this nimble can simply create another job mm. or give you some opportunity that is not yet uh, uh, past posted uh, publicly. Mm-hmm. So at, uh, at my agency, we're also hiring a lot. And what we see is mm-hmm. that there are two categories of candidates. We have the categories of fresh graduates, right? Like students that mm-hmm. want to go into into marketing. And also you have the category of corporate. As we are in Krakow, there are a lot of um, BPO, like outsourcing companies. And what's really- a, What's a BPO? BPO, it's a, a it's business, business process, process outsourcing. Yeah. Okay. So basically, let's say Electrolux, does uh, accounting, they did accounting in all different countries of uh, Europe, and now they want to centralize it into one location because it's more streamlined. So they, they create their own internal BPO in Krakow where they can hire all different languages doing, let's say, finance into one location. So that's, let's say, an internal BPO because they don't outsource it to an, a third party. So let's say Capgemini, will be a third party and they would do uh, the same finance jobs, but not for them internally, but for some like uh, another client, like Electrolux, let's say. So this in ecosystem creates really good, uh, in my view, um, professionals when it comes to processes, uh, when it comes to project management, which I uh, we as marketers at least as agency we need. But the 
there is no marketing knowledge there, right? Like, mm-hmm. so there is a lot of process knowledge and project management knowledge, but there's no marketing knowledge. Also with the students, right? So we have really uh, smart youngsters uh, who like learn super fast. Mm-hmm. You know, the information is rolling much faster than it was rolling when I was a, a student. Yeah. Um, hence they they are amazing when it comes to picking up information, but no marketing. So mm-hmm. can we go back a little bit? Because you worked in corporations yep. and now you're hiring also students. So can we talk about this topic where, how did you get into 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 marketing from the enterprise, right? From the corporate world, how one gets into this whole marketing world? Yeah, sure. So I think in very simple terms, um, I started actually in sales. So I've been in sales for about six years before jumping into marketing. And the way I got my first sales job was that I was actually in the UK in Leeds. uh, And the company there needed someone who speaks Romanian to sell into Romanian. So I got hired mostly because of the language skill. Okay. In other words, and I started financial services and I graduated in the financial uh, financial crisis in 2007, which was a terrible <laughs> time uh, to graduate. So I had to just choose another career and give it a go. So you finished the UK, right? I finished the UK, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just looked at what skills I have that I could put on the market, mm. despite the university skills, because that was a totally no-go. Mm. Um, so I think, I guess the, the first advice... Why do you say that? Because in 2007, there was the financial services. So everybody from uh-huh. the industry was uh, getting laid off. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty much impossible for a graduate to get a job. Um, or at least I couldn't do it. But that was a documented uh, issue on the market. So, mm-hmm. you know, time goes on. You need to pay the rent. You have to work somewhere. Uh, so pretty much I figured out that I could actually, you know, what, what do I have that not a lot of people have in the UK? My language skill. Right. So get an entry job in that, which is more than enough to keep you going. Mm-hmm. So fast forward like six years, I, I in sales, I made it up to like head of sales. So mm-hmm. I, I got to a pretty senior position. Um, and then I switched to marketing because I was in a company, I was supposed to do sales, but I didn't get leads. Mm-hmm. So I started to figure out where do I find these customers to sell to. So then I figured out how do I sell to a massive group of people at the same time. Well, that's marketing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even figure out that I'm doing marketing at that point. For me, it just like came naturally. And then I figured out like, okay, I'm building a website. I'm trying to drive traf- traffic to this website. Uh, my sales uh, people are getting better leads. Mm-hmm the term inbound marketing was coming at, at you know, to, in, into fruition. I was like, well, I'm doing this. Mm. Like I, I, <laughs> I'm not calling it inbound marketing. I don't have a name for this, but this is marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so from sales, I jumped into marketing and I, I would say from there it's history. I think the most important thing to understand is that in sales, you sell to one human being, but you're still selling to a human. While in marketing, you're selling to multiple human beings at the same time without having the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Because when someone's on your website, you don't talk to them. But your knowledge around how humans function and the human psychology and what people expect and the laws of influence are there. Um, So I'd say in marketing, if you had customer service, sales, anything, human relations, uh, experience, any psychology studies. So anything that helps you understand how humans behave and what you can say or do to change that behavior in a way that you want. Mm-hmm. Also known as buy from you. Mm-hmm. That's like a superpower. Is a lot of it sort of emotional? It's both because mm-hmm. the brain is emotional and rational, mm-hmm. but it starts with emotional. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it's like you, you want it, but then you justify it with logic. And I think in B2C, it's more emotional. 
you scroll on uh, Facebook, <clears throat> you see a pair of shoes, you click buy, you don't need approval from your boss, or you don't need to make sure that the shoes fit other five people. Well, if you see a piece of software, someone has to approve it, right. other departments need to use it. Mm. So you have a tick box list, but if I would be advertising, I would try to anticipate what's on your tick box. Right, right, right. And I will make sure that what's in that advertising makes it extremely easy for you to tick those off the list. Mm. But j just to go back to how you got into marketing. Sure. Did you do some certificates? Do you think that this is needed? Did you read some books? Like if I work in Corpo and there is someone listening, yeah, working in Corpo would like to join marketing, you know, even in university, even in university, even in, uh, you know, Uh, corpo, we we all get this feedback that you know you need certificates, you need diplomas, you need all these paper before you get a job. Did mm -hmm. you did you need that? Do you think is needed? What's your opinion on that? Mm. So when I hire, I don't look at that. I think the the best thing that you can have is. So I hire on three things: is mindset, skill set, tool set. Starts with mindset. So. Because I think if you if you are really determined and you're passionate about working in a certain place, you can then go through uh, skill gaps and you will do what is required to fill in skill gaps and stuff like that. While if you are very skilled but not motivated or not really passionate, not bothered to be here, that's that's something that's much harder to change. So the number one thing is is the mindset. In terms of skill set, it's really helpful if you've done that thing before. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if you went to school for it or not. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if this would be cooking, your test would be, you know, if you cook a three-star Michelin dish, mm -hmm. I'd hire you. I wouldn't probably ask you where you learn to cook. Mm -hmm. Or uh, if you have a certificate of... Yeah. Uh -huh. um, I think... <laughs> It, it goes down to being able to actually do the job. So if a certificate helps you do that or not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I, I, I don't see how you would get hired in a job where you're supposed to do things just based on a piece of paper. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So why do you think, like, uh, I, I'm also curious because I did the same shift, right? Like, Um, we worked um, in the same enterprise for some time. I worked in DHL, in Electrox, different corporations, and then mm. I made the, the shift. Uh, and for me, it's definitely uh, the biggest, you know, advantage is the, the amount of um, information I get in marketing and how fast I grow and I've how, how many... Uh, new things I learned in a month compared to when I was in enterprise. So my question to you would be, um, if you would have someone in front of you and would need to convince him or her to join, uh, you know, marketing, so to, to, to give up the enterprise, let's say, why would they, uh, why would they join? What would your pitch be? I think, <clears throat> I think, first of all, I wouldn't pitch them. Like, if they don't have this desire, I wouldn't try to create it for them. Let's say they have this desire, they would if, like to join it. If they have it, um, from my perspective, I, I think the best foundation that you can get is a combination of, like, three things, maybe two. Um, I think reading a book can't be replaced by anything else. Mm -hmm. So... Because it gives you the full story. It's not just a blog post or it's not just a post on Twitter. You get to understand the deeper perspective. It's like when you go and see a movie, but you've read the book, mm. you are going to enter in that movie with a much wider, deeper understanding of the world and everything that's happening in there, rather than seeing one hour and a half and having a, 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 a very shallow snippet. Okay. So I think books do this for you. They require some effort. They are not the most easier to consume format. You have to read 
and they don't have pictures and it's just text. Yeah, <laughs> it, it requires a lot of patience and, 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 and just for you to really be able to focus on a single topic for. Yeah. Yeah. And they are a time investment at the end of the day mm. because they are not expensive. So you would recommend before answering why you should join marketing, you would recommend them to read the, some particular books in marketing to understand the deep meaning of it and if this is for them. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> before you join marketing, if you can't answer the question for yourself, what is marketing? Probably you shouldn't join mm. or you shouldn't make that decision and you should have enough clarity that that's what you kind of want to do. Um, I think I remember how I got into university and I, I didn't make uh, university choices based on my future career. Mm. And a lot of people just don't just get soaked in into something that sounds cool or trendy without having a real idea of what that means. <laughs> I would say the true university and the education of someone never ends. And I think the thing, I think when you actually are in a job, especially at the beginning, if you compare it with university where maybe you had to pay to learn, here you're getting paid to get skills. So it's like your perspective about thinking of work is not, I need to go to the, the job, I'm already skilled mm -hmm. and I'm gonna do this for my own for the rest of my career. It's more like I'm in a place where I can grow and develop and I'm getting paid for it. Mm. That's already awesome. It's mm. like 10 steps ahead of everything else. While I'm here, um, I get to learn in the best way possible, which is by practice. Mm. Because from the outside, you can be like learning to drive a car just by reading the manual. And nobody learned to drive a car this way. You have to get in the car, mm. you will feel uncomfortable and you will suck. Mm. And that's the curve of, of learning is just natural. So if you have someone to kind of coach you and hold you by the hand and, you know, not throw you in the middle of the ocean when you can't really swim and that creates a really bad experience. And then although you maybe could have been good at that job because you haven't been developed correctly, you're now um, having a limiting belief in your head that you can't do that. So I think if you're early in your career, you have to be more focused around and aware of where you are and not compare yourself with a veteran that has been there 15 years mm. and drops guru quotes on uh, LinkedIn and saying, <laughs> I want to be like that because you're, you're very far from that. That's not your, you're not there yet. As I'm, uh, maybe this is sort of off topic, but as I'm listening to you talk, you, you like in my mind when I'm thinking of marketing now, Uh, I'm thinking of it more as a science that someone who has these marketing skills, <clears throat> they should be able to market anything mm -hmm. because it's somewhat of a process, the, the same way science is a process, mm -hmm. right? Wh which is also constantly evolving as you're collecting more data and new theories arise. Um, so first of all, would you agree with that? It's somewhat of a science and skill set and it's... Uh, yeah, I think it's... Um The evergreen thing in marketing that never changes is the fact that at the end of the day, you have to sell to people. Mm. The psychology of human beings and how human beings operate hasn't changed in thousands of years. So my, my advice of someone who wants to get into marketing is to learn the evergreen skills first. Mm -hmm. Learn the people skills. On the science part, we're talking about how we're doing marketing, right? So right now it's a lot of digital and it's a lot of science and some channels are a lot of data. And sure, if you want to be a paid ad specialist, you need to be able to analyze the data and understand which of your ads were working, which are not and stuff like that. But when you write the ad that shows into Google for someone to decide if they'll click on it or not, That's all human behavior and psychology, which is almost, is, is that's not science per se. You, it's backed up by science because you can get an AP test and you can start with a hypothesis that is formed on your best guess based on knowledge. So it's an educated one, which is a lot to do. 
and yeah, okay, you can have data to back it up or not, or take it from there. But I would say it's both. I would say you have the evergreen people stuff and you have the super fast changing technology or how, how to market and what's mm -hmm. available, uh, which is changing all the time, which it's okay to learn, but also be aware it's changing. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, print ads, right? Print ads were huge when the internet was not here and everybody was reading newspapers and all the ads were in newspapers. Now that moved online, right? So that's not a craft anymore. Or you used to get in your mail at home in an envelope, ads that kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all these ads uh, made the world think that, you know, marketers are evil or liars. Yeah. Or There's even a book about this, you know, Seth Godin, which is one of the, uh, one of the, best known marketers out there wrote a book about it saying all marketers are liars, um, which is actually talking about uh, how to make your story more authentic and don't, you know, look like you are this spammy <laughs> marketer. But what do you think about this? Because this mm -hmm. is, this is um, the, the, the bad side of the, of the marketeers. And if we talk to people, Uh, mm -hmm. out of this sector when you tell them I do marketing they are like some of them look at you like uh, to be honest I'm one of those people yeah. sure. when I hear the word marketing uh, I'm just thinking of somebody like the M in marketing stands for like manipulation and just yeah. throwing money at a problem yeah. and uh, I, I don't know that that's as I grew up for, for one reason or another that's sort of how I was uh, uh, programmed in a way but So I don't want to go too far away from, from what you were saying, but at the same time, there's this other word that has sort of popped up, which is branding. Mm -hmm. And, and could you also sort of discuss first of all, this, this sort of, uh, atmosphere around marketing? Sure. Uh, The negative ones. Yeah. Yeah. Positive, negative, but also how it relates and where it diverges from branding. Sure. Yeah. All right. So, um, The negative feeling around marketing, and I would say also around sales, it's because of the bad practice of uh, sending someone stuff they don't need for the sakes of justif sending. justifying uh, marketing. But, and th that has been a lot of it, and a lot of it has been spammy, and it's still spammy. Um, However, from my perspective, the right way of doing it is, is like this. So um, let's say I'm coming to you and saying, look, I see you have this problem. Uh, I have a solution for it. Let's discuss it. And if it turns out that you don't need it, that's fine but at least you got the understanding that you don't need it. You explored this uh, position. You are now more educated and probably know better what you want. And the fact that we didn't make business, that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. So instead of being spammy and intrusive, it can be helping um, and educational. Right, because in a sense, you're sort of providing options and potential solutions, which maybe they're not right at that particular moment, but it also gives that potential client, that person, uh, just sort of a, a broader perspective of what's available on the market and maybe what's right for them. Correct. And from a marketing perspective, you, if you have a solution, you have to think like who has this problem and target your message to the people who have this problem. Well, let's say if I have a renovation company, and spam everybody in marketing, in, uh, in Krakow with my services, that's probably not going to be a, a good idea. A lot of people don't need this service. But if I would look like, for example, uh, which businesses are growing and are in an old building? Because chances are these people are going to have the budget and are going to have the incentive to renovate their space. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then I would send my message only to these guys 
or you educate these guys on different the need to renovate if your yeah. business is growing right exactly so uh, well, first of all I, i would position my business not as a renovation business i would say i'm the renovation business for startups i renovate buildings so they are cool and hype to attract the right candidates so then i would market to you in a way that hey if you did you know if you renovate your office Uh, the quality of your candidates at interviews uh, increased five times mm. and here's a study to prove it mm -hmm. or employees are going to stay longer and be happier in your business if the environment is uh, is better and back it up by proof and this for you can be helpful and this helps you with your brand which was the question yeah so if you if you genuinely help people and then let's say you hire me and I do a good job for you and you are happy and you are actually getting the results that have been promised to you so you know we do what mm -hmm. it says on the tin then what are you more likely to do you are going to probably talk to your circle and say yeah i know a renovation company uh, they are cool they mm -hmm. did this for me and it worked mm -hmm. and the, and they weren't pushy about it and they weren't pushy they weren't spammy they were educational i felt safe and good um, throughout the process mm. Uh, and the fact that you recommended me, that's branding. Yeah. So branding is the, is the sign of quality. Yeah. It's uh, your uh, reputation. That's, I would call it reputation is the best word for it. Yeah. And that can be good or bad. Yeah. Um, as you're talking about this, I can't help but think about my own personal journey mm -hmm. as uh, here at Yoke uh, Workspace and Community. Obviously, we needed to market it we needed to sell it. And I always felt so, um, in the beginning especially, I felt so uncomfortable in that role of, of, of trying to, to, to make the sell. But uh, over the past two years that I've had experience meeting with people who come off the street or whatever, and they're just sort of interested in, hey, I don't want to work at home anymore. Uh, maybe it'd be nice to, to have a desk around other people and stuff like that. Um, over time, I've sort of, seen myself transition from someone who's just saying oh we have this feature we have that feature we have this uh meeting room mm -hmm. we have our desks are like this our coffee is awesome instead of doing that i just sort of present the space just sort of give them a tour and say hey uh, i think it's a lot more of what you started off in the beginning was with that survey so at really as i'm giving them a tour of yoke i'm really trying to find out what is their workflow what's important to them mm -hmm. and trying to see how our space as it is currently can uh, matches uh, in harmony with how they work. Right. Yeah. And uh, once I'm able to sort of make those connections for them, it's pretty obvious for them to say like, yeah, this, this, this place might be a good fit for me. And then there's like no selling involved. And uh, it's just like, hey, I, I think this could work for you. Let's I, see if this could work. I suppose that was much more comfortable for way, you. Way, way more comfortable. Yeah, because no, no longer do I feel like someone who's trying to push something into some something that somebody might not want, you know, es especially now during COVID where a lot of people are a little bit more anxious because mm -hmm. they maybe they haven't been around people much. So me being pushy and especially them being more sensitive to uh anxiety and stuff like that was obviously a, a big no-no right but but now where it just kind of seems like hey let's let's see if this is a good fit mm -hmm. um yeah ha has sort of been this nice organic thing and it really works well i think with our branding because uh us trying to sort of support and cater uh whoever comes into our space yeah i think um it's 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 a two-way street Mm. In this conversation, it's also important that, you know, if you're showing the space to someone and you can kind of think, you know, that's actually not the right space for you. Yeah. Um, it's okay to not get them as a client because then they will come in, not be happy, and then they will tell others that I haven't been happy there. So this is a two-way street conversation and you kind of want to make it work for the both sides. 
Absolutely. Yeah, because sometimes I'll get people who, who come to us and, and let's say there's somebody who is constantly on the phone, constantly doing calls. Yeah. And I just know that our space isn't outfitted for, for people who are constantly on the phone, especially people with big, booming voices. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just sort of tell them straight up and I just kind of say, hey, you're welcome to come for a free day. But at the same time, I don't think this is the ideal environment for you. Yeah. And this yeah. is an awesome example because now, you, instead of being a space that sells to every everybody, so being everything to everyone, you are very good for people who are appreciating a quiet, mm. chill environment. Mm-hmm. And this is your audience and this is what people here appreciate. Right. And knowing this on your website, that's your main message. Yeah. Yeah, co-working spaces for quiet people. But w- as opposed to saying, because you could also be uh, co-working spaces for loud salespeople. Our offices are soundproof. Yeah, we have all, everything for these guys. Sure, right. So by selecting an audience, is not only that you are getting the people who you serve the most, which is good for the business. Yeah, but you're also limiting the time wasted with people that from the beginning they're a bad match. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But still. Why do you think companies don't do that? Because there's still a lot of spammy marketing. It's still, um, you know, this this audience segmentation that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's segment into the sales guys and then adapt to that. Still, companies don't do it, right? Is it harder? Is it something that... Uh, um, Can I answer that question? Yeah. And, and you tell me if I'm right. Sure, go for it. To me, it just sounds like short short-term thinking. You know, because they're just thinking about how to make that sale, uh, how to get that revenue, but they're really not thinking down the line of um, what's going to be my relationship with this client. Is this client going to come back to me? Uh, I don't know. That's that's my impulse. Sure. Yeah. That that's one of the reasons. So one of the reasons is what's the business strategy, right? So if you want to be on the market for the next five to ten years, you care about the reputation mm. and the brand. If you're going to want to be in business for the next six months, maximize your profit and then close the doors. You know, you're more likely to engage in dark practices, which are definitely not good. Dark practices. Yeah. Yeah. There is a dark side to everything. And for sure, there is a dark side to marketing and sales. Um, Like downright people can be tricked that a product does something, you buy it and it totally doesn't do that. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, I was like, I guess that's, you know, the darkest practice you can, you can, mm. you can have. Um, so, yeah, I think to, to Romeo's question, why companies don't do it is because uh, companies skip the strategy step. Mm. Companies go like, because every company wants to grow, right? Okay. So they say we're going to grow and they are then jumping on the best way to grow. They say, okay, let's hire a content person, write some blog posts and drive some traffic. However, what's the traffic that you want to drive? Are you actually driving the people who the the right traffic? So Mm -hmm. because you didn't spend time to figure out who are Mm -hmm. the people in the market who like your, your product or service the most, you didn't document it. You didn't write it down and pass it to this marketer. So then they will know what to write and how to actually give you those people. This marketer will just do their job in general. And chances are they will bring a lot of people that are going to buy, be unhappy. It's not going to work well. And just sort of distract you from from where you want to be. Yeah, in, in a sense, as a business. It'll yeah. slow you down. Yeah. Yeah. So as a fresh marketeer would you agree with the sentence that says life is too short to work for a ceo that doesn't understand marketing no i don't agree with that i think i know it's popular now to pick on ceos uh that they don't get marketing or they don't get sales or they don't get whatever um but i think a ceo can't know everything i think as a marketer, it's kind of also your job to do some education there and bring something to the table. You need to market proper marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Or yourself. laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you can explain to a CEO 
uh, what your perspective is and if you are not on the same page i don't know if that person gets marketing or doesn't mm. but the, the clicking needs to be can i be at the sa- on the same page with this person when it comes to marketing topics mm. if that happens And that can be the CEO saying, look, I don't know much about marketing. I clearly see you're an expert. I don't want to be involved in it. And that's fine. So the problem com- becomes a problem when you are trying to do your job. And then I guess this is any job. Your boss comes in, doesn't really get what's going on and t- tries to tell you what to do. Right, right. And they kind of cut your wings and yeah. Yeah, and they send you in the right direction because involuntarily because this is bad for their business. Mm-hmm. Um but this doesn't necessarily have to be marketing. This is mm-hmm. like in any career. Mm-hmm. Um obviously if you have a, I I would say if you have a CEO that really really gets marketing then meaning let's say they are a marketer themselves. Mm. You also might have issues as well. So I don't think the commonality here is gets or doesn't get marketing. It's like, can you be on the same page with this person and work as a team? Yes or no? And this can be extremely difficult. And the best example that I had the other day was uh, like being in a band, like being in Beatles. Mm and trying to write a song as a, uh, as a band mm-hmm. and you having some creative ideas and John Lennon tell is, telling you they are not good mm. and you having to tell him back they are good, mm. right? So it gets to a point where you need to have enough respect and kind of not kill each other for the sakes of elevating the quality of work mm-hmm. and not taking it personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At some point this can become too much and the brand the band breaks. Sure. And then you're all gonna have solo careers, but your songs are never gonna be as good as you did together. Mm. And that's the same thing here. Like you need to have the CEO that you can have enough confidence to be able to tell what you think and be able to tell when you see things that are wrong. And it needs to be a two-way conversation rather than uh a seniority thing where you just get overwritten and you don't have that communication channel going on. Yeah, because at the end of the day the CEO did hire you to do that job and you're supposed to be focusing on that well. They're focusing on other stuff. Yeah, yes. Although you shouldn't just because it can, there is a coin there is a part of the coin of this that is correct like that person can roll totally make your life a nightmare mm. while at the same time pulling their uh, company in the ground. So when you interview for a job like this, the interview is a two-way street. It's also your job to assess if you want to work for that company. And this is part of it. Like what's the, how is the working relationship going to be with your new boss in any job? Mm. Uh, How are you going to react if I'm going to be not agreeing with, with what you said? If you tell me to do something and I prove with you with data that is the wrong idea, what's going to happen? Are you going to change your decision? Mm. And if you get no, and if you feel like this is a very hierarchical type of organization where we have a boss that gives directions, maybe that's not the type of organization that you are, or maybe you would love that because there are people who like clear directions Mm -hmm. and initiatives, and maybe you are that kind of person and that fits. Yeah, and you were talking about the band breaking and <laughs> I was thinking about the failures, right? Because yeah. marketing is a lot about failures, right? Because what is it? Like we come up with some ideas, with mm-hmm. some experiments, and then we go out in the market and we try to test it, right? So how how do you deal with failures and how do you... Uh, mm-hmm. How do you talk to your team? Because sometimes, you know, if you're a f- fresh marketeer, it, it it can be very demotivating, right? That you work and it happens, right? Like yeah. six months we work on a campaign and it's a total mess. Like nothing yeah. happens, no results. And I need to go back to the team. I need to go back to the CEO. I need to draw the conclusion what happened here, right? And that's marketing at the end of the day with 
bunch of failures. How All do right. you deal with that? Yeah, so on failure, the way to deal with failure in the healthiest way is to think of it as being learning. But to think of it as being learning requires energy because we as adults learn by reflecting. Mm. So it means like, okay, we've done this, we failed. Instead of blaming or moving to the next thing, set up the time to think and reflect. And when you do the reflection, basically you have to split it into two things, which is what went well in this campaign and what is it that we could do better next time when we execute this. So then when you map these things out, you will have an understanding uh, and you're also going to download things from your soul and mind. So your stress levels will decline mm. um, and you'll bond as a team because you're doing this exercise. And it's like part of our journey is to, to get better. We have to understand where we didn't do that well. And you've documented this. You have this understanding. Next time you're going to do that job, chances are you're going to be more successful because you understand now where you what maybe caused failing. And of course, reflecting is a good thing to do even when things do go well. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Because then you can acknowledge them. Uh, and that's, you know, that's gold that you want to protect. And this is knowledge that you want to train someone coming into the business from get go. So they don't have to go through all the errors that you had to suffer through. Mm. Um, so that's why you split it always into, you know, what went well, what could go better. And then you have both both sides of the coin. But you need to afford to fail, right? Because it's budget, it's money at the end of the day. So if six months you wasted the money and, you know, then you failed, uh, you need to justify that somehow. Yeah, so. this part is uh, more about the uh, process. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we shouldn't go for six months without reviewing our performance. We shouldn't have a, you know, uh, performance is not a birthday that is celebrated once per year. This is something that you probably need to look at at least on a weekly basis when you launch something. Um, so I would say when it comes to this sort of bigger project messing up, it's also a matter of how the project from a process perspective has been, has been set up and what methodologies are we supposed to work on or should we start working on? Like, I don't know, do we do scrum? Do we do stand-ups every day for five minutes before we start the day to kind of look at what yesterday went well instead of someone getting blocked today, mm. but you're going to talk with this person only in two weeks. So for two weeks, they do nothing. Mm. Uh, so I think this is a lot of process work that needs to happen there. And when you start seeing that things might not work out is working with the CEO and kind of explain, look, we don't see this going in the right direction as we assumed. Should we keep going or we take another direction straight away? So as a rule in business, the only thing that I don't like are surprises. <laughs> I prefer not to have surprises at all. And typically surprises, most of the cases can be negative. Even positives, like you would kind of want to know you're going in the right direction mm -hmm. because then you can accelerate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say there's a part of process that can limit this and find the methodology, apply it, stick to it, adjust it. It can save a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. Before we end, and I think learning, it's a good way to end. So... Could you give us some recommendations and also to the listeners that would like to join marketing, branding, um, this whole world that, that you're in, how do, how should they get started? What, what are the books that need to be like on every uh, bookshelf or in every Kindle? Okay. I think, uh, short, good and awesome <laughs> is <laughs> is the 22 immutable laws of marketing uh, by Al Rice and Jack Trout. Mm -hmm. So this will explain in like 50 pages, I would say it's maximum two hours book. Oh, wow. Um, Short. Marketing from a very high level, 10,000 mm -hmm. feet. 
Okay. And then the next thing by the same authors is called positioning, which is the first thing you should do after you get the strategy, which in was about instead of being everything for everyone, we are something for someone. So in your case, it was we are the working space for people who enjoy quiet, cozy environments. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> Just making it up. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would say start with these two mm -hmm. because this will give you an idea of what's marketing and it will give you an idea of marketing strategy. Um, okay, and I read these two books. What's next? Like, what should I do? Yeah, I think the next, you should read at least one psychology book to understand okay. people. And okay. for sure, I would say Influenced by Cialdini okay. is the number one to read. And then the skill that you need in marketing the most, regardless if you, what you're going to end up doing, is uh, the ability to write, which is called copywriting. Okay. So in copywriting, you have two schools. You have like classic copywriting and modern copywriting. So I think in classic copywriting, you have Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. Masterpiece, uh, which is absolute masterpiece, but hard to hard to get. Mm. It's, you kind of have to hunt it on eBay. Um, and I think on the modern one, I would probably say Ooh. everybody writes. I forgot the author. Mm -hmm. And uh, hey, Whipple, squeeze this. <laughs> oh, that's also a very good creative book. Yeah. So I think you should kind of once you had strategy you understand people you know how to write from there i would say the next decision is to choose your channel like do you want to learn paid ads or do you want to learn uh organic so meaning mostly kind of writing blog posts and ranking organically do you want to learn social media because you you won't be able to execute on a channel unless you know the other parts the 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 channel is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. And that's kind of a trap that people in marketing go. They just jump the strategy, the psychology part, the positioning part, and they just choose the channel first, mm. you know? Um, and you are, if you just stick with the technicalities of the channel without the deepness of marketing, you are not going to be able to execute well on that channel. Mm. Someone will have to do that other work for you. You are just going to be like pushing buttons based on other people's directions. You're not going to understand why and what you need to change. But if someone tells you that, you will know what buttons to press in the system to make that happen. Great. That's a really great uh, way to end with, with, this, with these learnings. Yeah, I, I learned a lot and I, I feel better about marketing. Now. <laughs> yeah, marketing is awesome. It's, you know, if done ethically, like anything else, can be very useful. If done unethically, it can be a very dark art that's extremely annoying. Um, and there is this like saying, like uh, people read what uh, interests them and sometimes that's an ad. True. Yeah, yeah. So that's the point. You have to be useful and helpful. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, George. Thanks a lot for this uh, one hour of pure content and uh, a huge overview of, of marketing. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. What did you take away from this conversation? Oh, wow. I, I really like this analogy with the cooks. You know, I'm a foodie. You said you're a sporty. I, I totally felt uh, outnumbered here between you and George because <laughs> you guys were both focused on restaurants and food and all this stuff. Yeah. So that, that was interesting. Like, uh, you're saying that, okay, at the beginning, a startup might need someone who can uh, do all types of marketing activities, but later on, you need to specialize. Mm -hmm. And if you want to join a, an organization as a student, as a, um, a professional in, in corporate and you want to just shift your career, you really need to understand at what stage this company is uh, to un actually understand what, how you can contribute and what competences you need to develop. I really like how he sort of outlined like these different uh, fields of focus 
um, and, and, and for me, like I, I kind of now see marketing as somewhat of a science, which is something that I brought up. And uh, you know, where, where you sort of you you take in your data, you maybe you form a hypothesis, and then you go out into the world and and you test that data um, in the in the proper form to see if it makes sense or not. And then probably, if your marketing strategy works, if your campaigns work, then I guess you could scale it up after that. But but right now I see it much more of a science and and, and an art than simply just throwing money at a problem. Yeah, and it's also George knows how to explain marketing in a very simple yeah. form. Even I can understand it now. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty nice because uh, you know in marketing you can get super flooded with all the acronyms. And yeah, and did you notice how many times he talked about human? Like at the end of the day, you're marketing to a human. Like that's something that I could appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it's also about learning, right? Because you, you do a lot of failures in marketing and mm -hmm. actually those failures are learnings and we as companies, we as individuals, we need to make sure we document those learnings so we don't do it again. And this is super important because if a company, um, you know, makes the same <laughs> mistakes over and over again, th that investment that they did in those learning slash failures they are just gone right yeah so this is this is really good and also the books that he recommended the, this idea of okay before you specialize you need to know how to write mm -hmm. and this is right like writing the, the basics of of marketing not like how to make super sexy video ads and you know some analytic uh, data uh, stuff no like learn humans learn mm. the psychology mm. and learn how to write for these right right i also really appreciated the fact that he talked about you don't just market to everybody you you really sort of focus on your core groups your personas and you do like smart marketing in a sense and uh which i think sort of enables smart growth All right, that that was a great interview. Uh, I really appreciated George uh, having him here. Uh, f from the very first few seconds that we got to say hi, I had a I don't know, just a good impression of, of or intuition of uh, that he might be just a great person to talk to, and my intuition was right at least this time. So. And it's good to have people in the in the studio rather It's than on Zoom calls. So much better. So much better. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Growth Gossip was recorded at Yolk Workspace and Community in Krakow. If you enjoyed listening, please give us a share. Or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. See you next time. See ya.